Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. My guest today is Daniel Stewart, attorney at law in the state of California at Manat. Daniel, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So we're going to talk about the JOBS Act. Mm -hmm. What is the JOBS Act? The JOBS Act is a strangely named piece of legislation. Uh, It's actually an acronym for Jumpstart Our Business Startup Act, (laughs) which... uh, uh, is essentially a response to what's been happening with uh, crowdfunding sites like Kickstarter and Indiegogo. And I think uh, most people, even if they haven't participated, have probably heard these stories about how you can go to one of these sites on the Internet and uh, contribute to the funding of a, of, a, of a record by an indie band or a, you know, an independent film, that kind of thing. And basically with the Jobs Act... Uh, wants to do, it's been passed, uh, is provide a way for people to uh, actually invest in startup companies and projects on the ground floor through these internet platforms, which before the JOBS Act you couldn't do because uh, you would be running afoul of the Security and Exchange uh, Commission's, you know, rules and regulations. Which says what? I mean, what, what are those rules? Well, you know, if, if you want to sell shares in a company, you know, in a publicly traded company, I, I'm not an SEC lawyer, but, but you know, there's there's a, a mountain of, of paperwork and hurdles that you have to go through before you can, quote-unquote, go public and actually sell shares, you know, to the public at large. You know, it's, it's you, you, you could look at a... Uh, the, social, the social network movie is probably a good pop culture reference for that because uh, you saw, you know, Facebook, Facebook born in a guy's dorm room and then eventually they quote unquote went, went public and that's when all the people out there in the world could buy shares. And but that's all done through the stock exchange. It's a very formalistic process. So so, so how does Kickstarter raise three hundred twenty-three million dollars for ten thousand projects? Without any of that compliance. The way Kickstarter works now is if there is a project, you go to the website, if you find a project that you want to invest in or somebody tells you, hey, I'm raising money on Kickstarter, go go, uh, please contribute. You can contribute to a project, but you can't own, you can't acquire an equity interest in that project. So uh, let's say some indie band wants to raise $25,000 to uh, cut a record and go on tour. Um, You can make a contribution in exchange for which you might basically have pre-purchased an album that they'll send you when they're finished. If you you spend more money, maybe you'll get an autographed copy of a CD or a poster or uh, preferential tickets. Basically, you can get something in exchange for your contribution, but it's more like a like a purchase, more like you're buying a piece of memorabilia as opposed to having a, a, a fractional interest in the success of the band. So if the band raises $25,000 on, on Kickstarter, 
they get to keep that money and they don't have any obligation to the people who've made the contribution other than to give them what they promised them. Um, uh, but it's, if that band then goes on to make $10 million on the $25,000 investment, uh, the contributors don't see a piece of that. How does Kickstarter make money? Kickstarter, they get a percentage. Uh, they, they, I, I don't know exactly what the ratios are, but they get a percentage of the money that's that's raised. And, and what if it's not a product? What's that? What if it's not a product that you're raising money for? I mean, can you pretty much only raise money for products on Kickstarter? It's well, you can raise money for projects. So, for example, you and you can raise money for pro, for products that are being developed that may or may not see the light of day, and that's where. Kickstarter, um, and again, this is, I've got no professional contact or connection with them. So this is just anecdotal and what I've, what I've read in the trades. But, you know, they have, uh, been trying very hard to improve the, um, you know, the, the, the disclaimers and the language on their website so that it, it's really crystal clear to people when they invest that they don't accept any liability. If, for example, let's say you invest in a band. To cut a record and the band breaks up and they never make the record. Well, Kickstarter's not on the hook to, you know, refund anybody's money or anything like that. Um, or people invest in, you know, the making of a film and, you know, uh, they, they wind up not being able to finish the film for some reason. You know, it's, you're, when you invest right now, you were, you were just really taking a shot with your money that they're actually going to see it through and that you'll get whatever thing has been promised back to you. Um, uh, but there's no guarantee, right? There is no guarantee. And, and what if the person who raised the money on Kickstarter doesn't perform? Do you have any collateral? I think that, well, you don't have any collateral, meaning you know, you're not holding anything that you can sue on. I think that uh, you know, it's such a new uh, sort of technology. I don't know how it would play out if somebody were to feel that they were, if someone say, made a substantial contribution to a Kickstarter project that wound up not happening. Um, uh, and it turned out that there was sort of evidence of fraud and they can prove the fraud or something like that. Then I guess theoretically there could be an action, not against Kickstarter, but against the person who used Kickstarter to raise money. Um, I mean, fraud is fraud. If somebody misrepresents themselves and collects money under false pretenses, then you know that would be something that the law would have a remedy for. Um, but but uh, Kickstarter is is just a, a facilitator. It's funny because you know you, you look at something like Kickstarter and you think, wow, this is going to be great. Now anybody can go raise money for their projects, and then you look at what's happening in show business. You see big stars getting involved and in funding yeah. their their it, projects. It's interesting. It's it's and it's funny because on the one hand, clearly that's being well received by enough people for it to be successful because you know you have your Artists like Amanda Palmer, she raised over a million dollars. You've got uh, director Zach Braff. You know, I, I forget how much he raised, but it was a lot of money. And he's a guy who has some traction in Hollywood. And then uh, the, uh, the fans of the TV show Veronica Mars um, contributed enough money to fund a movie that apparently is 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 under development. And you know, there are there are already Veronica Mars project set out to raise three point seven million. That was its goal. It actually raised five point seven million. There are a lot of fans there, and the cool thing about it, from sort of a pop culture versus business model angle, is that it allows, it gives the fans uh, really a democratic voice in the process. So, if you imagine, 
you know, again, I've got no connection with the Veronica Mars folks, but imagine that you, you know, you're one of the actors, writers, producers, directors of that, of that property, uh, to use a legal Hollywoodish type term. Um, and you know that there's a fan base that would support a movie, but yet you can't convince the studio to make the movie. Well, what do you do? Well, before you had these kinds of platforms, there wasn't a whole lot you could do, but at least here now there's this sort of additional path to funding where you can say, hey, let's go to the fans, see if the fans want to fund it. Because the fans, I don't know exactly what they're getting in return. I'm presuming they're probably getting um, uh, tickets to the premiere or, 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 or something for their money, or maybe they're just supporting it because they love the idea of supporting it, which... Braff teamed with producers Stacey Schur and Michael Schamberg last month to launch a Kickstarter campaign that fetched $3.1 million from 46,520 donors. Uh, when I say last month, just to give you a frame of reference, this is a story I'm reading from in the Variety uh, that is dated June 4th, so recently. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, and clearly, you know, Zach has a lot of fans. He, uh, I heard him doing a lot of press on national radio to sort of support it and, and talk about it. Um, there is some blowback where, you know, some, some, I guess you could call them crowdfunding purists, uh, are, are sort of bemoaning the notion that people who have already, uh, planted a flag in Hollywood are now using what they see as sort of an indie fundraising device to fund, you know, projects that, you know, they, they, they feel and believe that the studio should really be funding. But, you know, again, the nice thing about it is it's totally open and democratic and that the people, if people didn't support it, they wouldn't be contributing. They're raising millions of dollars. So clearly there's enough support for it. But they're not going to get anything other than the product. That's right. They're not owning a piece of it. Now, that's pre-Jobs Act. What the Jobs Act, and again, we're in this weird twilight zone with the Jobs Act, because it was passed last year, but part of what the legislation requires is for a series of rules to be developed and implemented by the SEC, the same folks that control the stock exchange, um, to you know really sort out what you can and can't do. But once those rules are in place... In theory, what will happen is that there will be crowdfunding platforms where you can actually acquire equity in these kinds of projects. So you could foresee, you know, a couple of years in the future, somebody wants to contribute, you know, a thousand dollars to their favorite uh, movie director's pet project. They'll own some infinitesimal fractional interest in the, you know, in the proceeds of the film and maybe they'll get, you know, a return on that. Investment. It's it's going to actually create, if it's seen through to completion and the rules are workable, it's it, it, it's it's actually going to create a new way for people to invest in these kinds of projects. We're talking to California attorney Daniel K. Stewart with Manat about the Jobs Act, and when we get back, we'll talk about whether or not the new legislation could expose small investors to fraud. Stay with us. So we're at a point where 91% of adults use social media. 85% of employers think there's a benefit to using social media at work. Half of all companies globally have had to discipline an employee for the misuse of social media at work. And still less than a third provide any sort of training at all. If you're ready to train the enterprise, um, 
Comply Socially has 80 hours of online social media training courseware uh, that's available for license. It is uh, the most cost-effective way to train a large employee population, and you can do it anytime, anywhere, on any device. If you're interested in becoming a reseller, hop on over to complysocially.com, visit the reseller link on the bottom of the page, and fill out the form. We'd love to talk to you. Or if you're at a company where you're in charge of social media and you'd like to get the rest of the folks retweeting, liking, and commenting on your stuff, we have a solution for you to scale engagement in the workplace and manage risk at complysocially.com. Check us out. Now, not everybody supported the bill. Um, AARP and the Consumer Federation of America and the Council of Institutional Investors all complained that it was basically loosening investment protections and could expose small and experienced investors to fraud. Well, whenever you create a new way for people to put their money on the table, um, you know, there are going to be good ways that money can be used and there's going to be, you know, bad things can happen too. Um, and I think it'll all boil down to sort of the quality of, of the rules and the enforcement because, you know, clearly you could see that if, if it were just too loose and too wide that, um, uh, you know, you could have, you could have all manner of mischief. But then if you had that manner of mischief, the market has a, a pretty good record of sort of self-correcting and that if, you know, if everyone was getting screwed over when they, when they uh, contributed to these kinds of projects, then people would just stop contributing. But, but um, I expect the rules are going to have some teeth to keep the con artists away uh, and to, to give the government some tools to actually go after people who use this for, for, for bad purposes. But I think the benefit is that, you know, you're sitting in front of your computer or sitting on your couch with your iPad and you're surfing around and it's like, hey, here's this artist I really love or here's this director I really love. And I believe in him or her, and I want to contribute to this movie they're doing or this album they're recording. And guess what? I, I'd like to be a one thirty thousandth of a percent investor in whatever you know uh, proceeds it generates. I mean, but, but you're not, right? You're not, not an now. investor. Not now. After the Jobs Act, you 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 can acquire equity. That's the big difference. Though. I see. Yeah, the Jobs Act. And, and do you think do you think that's where Kickstarter goes with this? I mean, do you think? They... See, I I don't know enough about. About, I mean, do you think there's an opportunity there for this sort of crowdsourced VC? Yeah, I mean, whether it's whether it's Kickstarter or whether it's other crowdsourcing platforms, I, I could I can I could certainly envision uh, uh, people being able to log onto the internet and finding a project that they want to invest and acquire equity in, and being able to do so. You know, in much the way, uh, I mean, it wasn't too long ago that the idea of you know getting on the getting on a computer at two thirty in the morning. You know, and, and shorting stock or, or buying options or something like that without the aid of a, of a broker, you know, was, was, uh, you'd be considered crazy. But now, you know, with all these different online investment, uh, uh digital platforms, anybody can do that. Anybody can set up an options trading account, you know, on any of these, these, uh, investment sites and go crazy. Um, uh, you know, buying and selling and shorting and whatever. But, uh, now, criminologist William K. Black said the bill would lead to a, quote, regulatory race to the bottom. And he said it was lobbied by Wall Street to weaken Sarbanes-Oxley. 
I think there's so many stakeholders in this kind of situation that, that uh, you know, you could probably make very compelling arguments on either side of whether it's good or bad, and, and you just won't know until it's rolled out and you see what the cause and effect is. You know, if, if uh, you know, not to be Pollyanna, because, you know, I, it sounds interesting to me, um, but I haven't personally analyzed all the possible pitfalls of it, but I, I kind of personally like the idea of thinking that the same people who are investing, in, or not investing, but contributing to projects now in exchange for, you know, a t-shirt, you know, might instead own a piece of the action. So if, if, uh, if, if $50,000 is raised for a project that generates $2 million, and, you know, maybe, maybe that $50 that somebody kicked in while they're sitting in their pajamas watching TV, uh, you know, maybe they get a check for a couple hundred bucks. And if you multiply that, you know, hundreds of thousands of times over, I mean, that could actually be a real stimulus for grassroots economic activity where, you know, people who, the argue, one of the arguments that I read that's kind of interesting is that, you know, it's very difficult for regular folks, quote unquote, to get in truly on the ground floor of, you know, the next Apple, the next Facebook, the next this or the next that. You've got your... You know, you've got uh, a certain class of, of, um, of, of venture capitalists. You've got your friends and family investors. But a stranger who lives 2,000 miles away who might have read about you uh, and might be interested in investing really has no means to do it. Because if you're not a publicly traded company, you can't call a broker and buy shares of stock. And even if you have an account with, uh, you know, with, with, uh, with a, a brokerage, even getting in on an IPO, it's very difficult to get, you know, shares before they're already appreciated. So, you know, one of the compelling pro-arguments is that, um, you know, somebody who is, you know, sitting 2,000 miles away and surfing on an iPad can can buy in early on these kinds of things. And again, subject to the quality of the rules and the enforcement and compliance and all those good things, if everything works the way it's designed, they could actually get a return on that investment. But we're still waiting on the SEC to finalize rules, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. And that'll be the key to it. I mean, it's they say the devil is in the details. So, you know, if the rules are um, not well thought out and not practical and, and don't provide the right amount of protections, if any of that is sort of off kilter, then you could see it either not being uh, successful in the way that people envision it who are in favor of it or not giving enough protections uh, uh, for abuse and fraud from the people who are opposed to it, but you know, hopefully they get it right. And so at this point, the Jobs Act is really only helping people create products and entertainment and you know movies and, and music and books and that type of thing. But in terms of using something like Kickstarter to fund a startup, it's it's not possible to do it and give your investors equity. Because we're still waiting on the SEC to come out with these rules. That's that's a fair that's a fair assessment. And and again, I don't know if it'll be Kickstarter uh, or Kickstarter 2.0 or some other version of it, or whether some of the brokerage firms will, you know, jump into the party. I mean, who knows how it will unfold? But um, right now, if you want to invest in your in your band or your favorite director's pet project, you can't really invest. Yeah, you can you can you can contribute. And you can prepay for your. You ticket. can you can prepay for a ticket. You can get something cool, you know, like a backstage pass to an upcoming concert or something like that. 
but you can't own equity. And in theory, if it all works out, when the Jobs Act is implemented, uh, you'll actually be able to own you know, a piece of the action. How, how, how do you handle risk in that type of a scenario? Because you know, in, when you invest in the stock market, you're, you choose what to invest in based on your risk, risk appetite. But really, when you go to individual investors to crowdsource funding for a big company, nobody really has enough risk to think too carefully before they make their investment, right? If you're just raising a buck from everybody to get to a million, people could, you know, give a buck just because they liked the video or they thought something was funny. And so, you know, you could see an environment where the companies that get funded aren't necessarily the companies with the best product. They may be just the ones with the best personal branding or the best marketing or the funniest or the most irreverent. It's interesting. I mean, I think that that um, hopefully there'll be enough education on the issue so that the people, you know, who are who are making contributions as they're, you know, playing with their iPads, or sitting at their home computers or whatever, understand that that money it's 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 not exactly the same thing as buying a lottery ticket, but it's you know it's 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 risk money. It's money that you're 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 putting forward in a way that you don't really necessarily expect to ever see it again. And if it comes back with a profit, you know that's that's a blessing. Hopefully, you know it's it's there will be enough safeguards where you're not just going to have scam artists and you know people with fraudulent intent, uh, 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 you know, getting involved. I'm sure. You know, people who have those inclinations will test the boundaries of the rules and regulations to see what they what they can get away with, just like anything. You know, but um, uh, it is. You know, I think it could also create markets for uh, uh, people to review products that become available. So, for example, you might if 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 uh, if an individual is not equipped to do. You know, good due diligence on an investment opportunity like that. Perhaps there's going to be companies that that do that and and you know ascribe ratings to these kinds of things. I mean, there's all manner of things that could happen. Uh, we just don't know yet. It's too early to tell. We know something's going to happen because the law has been passed, but we just don't know what it's going to look like and feel like when it's all implemented. We've been talking to Daniel Stewart. He's an attorney at Law in California, Manat. Daniel, thanks for joining us. Okay. Thanks You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. On the Record Online is hosted by Eric Schwartzman, an independent online communications consultant whose clients include the U.S. Department of State, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Embassy of Greece, the Government of Singapore, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, Southern California Edison, the Environmental Defense Fund, and dozens of small to medium-sized organizations. For information about engaging Eric Schwartzman as a speaker, social media trainer, or digital strategist, visit www.ericschwartzman.com or send email to eric at ericschwartzman.com.